You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's our last Spain and Fitz show before the NFL draft. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We are going to spend the next two hours mock drafting, starting with the last pick on the last day going backwards. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. I am so sick of mock drafts. I just want the real thing. And we finally get it tomorrow night. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We got a whole ton of guests tonight that are going to give you all the insight that you need in the waning hours before we see the actual picks being made. There was a trade today that shook some things up. We'll get into all of it. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Before all of our guests come in with all the draft expertise, um, and before we get a chance to talk about Teddy Bridgewater going to the Broncos, we'll have guests on to talk about what that means for the Broncos, what that means for the Panthers, maybe for the Patriots. Um, I want to talk about something else we're going to see tomorrow when the draft fits. And, And it just came up, and I thought it was a pretty cut and dried issue until I dived a little deeper in, and that is, should teams care about players who opted out of last season Should it be penalized? Should it be something they think of as a negative? And Jerry Jones, the Cowboys, of course, had some thoughts to share on the opt-outs. They're compromised. I'd I'd, I'd rather, much rather have seen the uh, reps and the plays that they've got. Coach, help me here. How many plays in a normal situation would a, let's say, a a defensive tackle uh, by playing last year as opposed to not playing last year if he'd have played all of his college games? I mean, 71 plays a game, 10 games, 700 plays. 700 plus plays. And plus, usually those players, if they're the type player you want, or are better from their junior to their senior year. So that was the part that got me, Fitz. Of course I was aware of the time off, but taking into account the missed opportunities to learn, needing to be curious about their work ethic and exactly how they've spent the last year, does it give you pause more than just to say, of course, morally, you're not punishing someone for making that decision, but technically, is it a concern? Yeah, I think it is actually. And, you know, there there are multiple teams that have hinted to the fact that they'll be taking people off their board or downgrading people from their board in the first round because of opt-outs. But one of the curious, I'll, I'll use one specific example. Gregory Rousseau is a defensive end out of Miami. And in 2019, his tape was phenomenal. He opted out in 2020, which is no big deal. We all understand that. But he showed up at his pro day in a very good way, about 15 pounds heavier than anyone had ever seen him before. It was all muscle, but what we don't know is how that will affect who he is as a player on the field. How often have we sat there and looked at different guys and said, well, they put on a bunch of weight, but uh, they're trying this out made him slower did this to it like we just don't know so here's somebody that coming into this year we thought could be a top 12 pick in the draft and as a result now I've seen some mocks that have him falling all the way to the second round because people just don't know what to make of somebody that didn't get extra film this year didn't get extra opportunities wasn't on the field what have they been doing but and what is the impact of whatever they've been doing done to the way they play the game it makes it really difficult to predict anything yeah, I mean, I think it's an easy moral decision if you're punishing players for making what was a very complicated and difficult decision for their own health, the health of their families, because it didn't feel like college football had their you-know-what together. Any reason during a pandemic and all the things you were going through last year, I don't blame them for that. But I've heard others say, just look at the tape. It's the same as if they were injured. It's the same as if there were another reason that they were out. Just look at the last tape you have of them. And yes, of course, I think the key fits is have conversations so that you understand the mindset and talk to them about what they've been doing in the meantime. Are they going to come in in shape? Are they going to come in ready? Did they use that time? You know, I just saw 
um, a preview of an interview with Penny Sewell and um, Jamar Clark, I think it was, saying, like, once I decided to, I'm not going to play, here's the plan that I made and how I went about it, knowing that I was going to be getting myself ready for the draft. Who knows if they worked with better people, got better individually than if they had played during a disjointed season. That's part of why it's Bain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I think this is the toughest draft we'll ever see in our lifetimes to make any sort of assessment from because every single player could be in different positives or negatives and every single team could view it as a positive or negative. When you add those layers of unpredictability on top of what we already know is an unpredictable product, I don't know how you find any sort of normalcy through it because you're absolutely right. Like as, as you suddenly step away from the game, one of the things that happens for a lot of these kids that start the draft process is they pick an agent and that agent then helps fund their training. So they go to specific places to help them train for the combine, but also to help them train and get ready for their pro days. Like all of this stuff happens with different trainers that may be able to better, to better focus on exactly what they need in these one little elements here and there for their game. So maybe it's made them better, but also maybe they've partied a little bit more. Maybe they've hung out a little bit more. Like there are so many unknowns in a in a, a draft where so often we we tell stories about private investigators following prospects around like I just don't know how you get any information and it really makes it difficult for any front office to get it right it's Spain and Fitz Sarah Spain Jason Fitz on ESPN radio Ed Werder ESPN NFL reporter was on SportsCenter talking about teams having concerns about some of the stuff you talked about medical and how to get a look at guys that were out Many of the top prospects opted out of playing for their college teams last season. So that's made the evaluation process harder for all the teams. Uh, Jerry Jones mentioned today the lack of standardized 40-yard dash times. And then he said he believes that medical information is the number one shortcoming in the evaluation process. Jones said the Cowboys are not as prepared as he would like in terms of knowing the medical history of prospects. The opt-out issue and the medical information void is a concern for the Cowboys as they evaluate the cornerbacks who might be available with the 10th overall pick. While one NFL source described Patrick Sertan as being cleaner than a white tablecloth, there are a few concerns with J.C. Horn and huge issues with Caleb Farley. As you know, Michael, Horn opted out at South Carolina with three games remaining, and Farley opted out of the entire season and recently had back surgery for the second time. Sarah, yeah. that's that's not the only GM to like Mike Mayock talked the other day about they're not getting medical information quickly enough. I've seen about a half a dozen uh, different NFL GMs talking about the lack of medical information. And I don't know what you do. Right. Like if, if you're Caleb Farley is a great example, the corner out of Virginia Tech that was just referenced. He's somebody that now I'm seeing mocks that that are taking him all the way down to the second, maybe even third round for somebody that's a top 15 talent in the draft. But we have no idea what condition his back is in. So I, that's just another I, I don't if I was a GM today and I had to bet my livelihood on it and it was somebody that I hadn't had the chance to have my doctors poke and prod. I don't know if I could I could pick Caleb Farley as much as I love who he is as a player. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, it's going to be a very difficult draft for these teams as they are trying to gauge talent, some of which seem to take a step back at last year, but to ignore the context around the season that we had and all the changes because of COVID, I think would be pretty silly. And I think that's in some cases what we're hearing around Justin Fields. I just hope the people making the decisions don't feel that way. Just the bloviating talking heads who need something to say in month 11 of our draft coverage. I want to talk Russ Wilson <laughs> and Pete Carroll and something coming out of the Seahawks later in the show. This was Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. We're out of time on that, so we'll get to it later because coming up, we got to get to the 49ers. They will almost certainly 
Okay, certainly. They will absolutely, 100%, no matter what you hear. They're absolutely taking a quarterback with the third pick tomorrow. But which one will it be? An expert joins us next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We are one day away from the draft, finally. No more mock drafts. We're going to get the real thing, and there is absolutely one team that's gotten more given, I guess, given more content than any other. It's the 49ers. We're going to talk about them in a second, but don't forget Tomorrow night, the 2021 NFL Draft is on ESPN Radio, presented by Sherwin-Williams. Will three quarterbacks be taken with the first three picks? First-round coverage begins at 7 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN Radio stations. Joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, you hear him weekday mornings on KNBR in San Francisco, Murph and Mack. It's Brian Murphy. Brian, your team has been the focus of most of the debate around the draft. Do you have any idea, more so than we do, whether those – latest muddying of the waters that it might not be Mac Jones, that now that the it's, it could be any one of the five, that any of that is real. This has been, Hey guys, what's up? It is a hello from, from the, the melting down Bay area. That is flipping <laughs> its lid, flipping its collective lid over what's going on because it right now as the, it's, it's a horse race and the horses take the lead. You see Justin Fields and, and Kyle talking with a, a coffee cup and a hat and you start thinking he's the guy. You thought it was Mac Jones from day one when Chris Sims and Mike Lombardi threw that out there. Then the mysterious surge of Trey Lance over the weekend with all the different sources. But I'm here to tell you that, A, they have been incredible about keeping the secret. We've riffed mightily on the show about, like, the, the whole Omerta concept of the mafia. Keeping the, keeping the lid on this thing has been amazing. They've been a, no leaks in the building, which I think they, they kind of love. And then, B, I think ultimately we're not going to overthink it. We, we are, after all the weeks of jockeying and speculation, we go back to the original moment when they made that trade. And the people who are most familiar with Kyle Shanahan's way of thinking said, oh, my God, they just did this to get Mac Jones. Mm-hmm. And so here we are on the eve, and I think that's where we are, guys. Mm-hmm. I think after all the exhaustion and speculation and shouting and screaming, I think it's going to be Mac Jones. So, Brian, I'm going to ask you two questions in one here. What's the result that will make everybody absolutely implode? And what's the result that will make everybody joyous? The result that we're going to really implode is the one I just laid out. Max Jones will come. <laughs> Max Jones will come to a a stormy, choppy welcome in the Bay Area, which is going to be a whole interesting thing because Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have had a pretty sweet honeymoon run, even with some bad years. I mean, 2018 was a bad year. 2020 was a bad year. But there is this sort of fervent belief that they are the right guys, like the 2019 49ers that went to the Super Bowl with. Oh, wait for it, Jimmy. Garoppolo, yeah, I said it, Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> at quarterback. Uh, that was the team I think that most 49ers fans believe is what Kyle and John can do when they're at their best. So for them to pick Mac Jones tomorrow will be the first severe breakage in the relationship between 49er fans and media and John and Kyle. So that's going to be really interesting to, to play out. The second part of your question, Jason, is to what they just want either Justin Fields or Trey Lance because most media and fans believe that the modern era is the mobile quarterback, Russell Wilson. We see him twice a year. He drives us crazy. Kyler Murray's beginning to drive us crazy twice a year. So why not get a guy who can move? Why would you get a guy who doesn't move? So there's your answer. Implosion for Mac, delight for the other two. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Brian Murphy of KNBR in San Francisco on the Goodyear Hotline. 
Right. I completely agree with you. I always think it's lion season. So I was a little curious as to the closest people to the team just coming right out and telling us Mac Jones. But then I thought, well, we already know who's going one and two. There's no reason for them to hide three. So then later, when it started to be, well, we don't actually know. Guys are catching up. You know, that kind of thing. I think to myself, what's the reason for this? Is there any chance you think there might be movement from that pick because they believe they don't need to take Jones at three, that they can get him a couple slots lower. They trade with that team. That team can get who they want higher. Is there any potential reason why they are muddying the waters now instead of just letting us all believe they're taking Mac the way that everyone understands who's going one, two? There it is right there. You just say right on it, Sarah, the mystery of the mystery. Why are, why is there so much obfuscation going on? Why is there so much, murkiness going on there's many theories including yours that maybe indeed they are ready to move ready to jockey ready to deal uh there's an obscure one where the jets don't take zach wilson and there's that there's that scenario where that one comes around there's a theory that the niners like the attention that they're that they're enjoying this ride uh there's another theory that they honestly were set on mac jones and have been honestly intrigued by their visits with Justin Fields and Trey Lance, and that they're saying, huh, maybe we should look around. So none of these has a certain anchor tied to them. It is the ultimate mystery, and I am looking forward, really, actually, looking forward to two things. A, I'm looking forward to the pick, and B, I'm looking forward to the unspooling that will go on over the spring and the summer as the more dogged reporters and the more dogged radio hosts figure out just what happened between March 26th and April 29th, because... As you, you bring up a great point, we do not know what's the smokescreen for. If it plays out as Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, what are they hiding? Why are we in this? So that remains the cloud going in. And I don't know if we will get our answer. If they trade, then we'll know, you know. But if they don't, we're going to think, was it for the attention? Mm-hmm. Was it because they really didn't know? And if they really didn't know, then wow, what a move to make, not knowing who you're going to get. And, again, I, I, sometimes right. I think back to Jimmy G on this poor whole thing, like, my gosh, they were saying basically, guys, We'll take anybody but Jimmy. We're talking to Brian Murphy, Murphy Mack, weekday mornings on KMBR in San Francisco, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So, Brian, I, I mean, games lost to injury for starters last year is a huge part of why the 49ers are in this position in the first place, right? Like, that's part of what made them very bad. In theory, this team gets healthy. Now they have a young quarterback. Knowing that they are still, when healthy, a contending team, is there logic then to keeping Jimmy G through all of this chaos and all of the awfulness that that will present, but it gives them a better chance to win today on the field while they develop their young quarterback? Yet another layer of mystery and intrigue with this whole thing. Like, <laughs> wait a minute. Well, you have a Super Bowl-ready roster, and you're pretty much going to give it to a rookie quarterback? Because right now, guys, the, the fervent belief here, the, I think the one thing that has the most certainty tomorrow, well, Mac Jones is probably number one, but the other thing that's most certain is that they're going to move Jimmy G. That seems to be mm. by far the most prevailing wisdom. That that there, it, there's a number of reasons why. You know, a the the, uh, the just giving the keys to the kid. Uh, B the locker room dynamic. You know, Jimmy's very popular actually in the locker room. Very. He, he's a, and you, you know, Sarah, you're a Chicago uh, product. You know the deal. He's a he's a man of the people. He's yeah. a Midwestern guy. He's a he he, he was a really popular player in the Niner locker room and they could run into, I mean, I know they're all pros and they're handsomely compensated to do their job, but there could be dynamic and chemistry problems. If they bring in a guy and keep Jimmy around as just a warm body to sort of show him the ropes. So the belief is that they're going to move on from Jimmy. And if they do to your point, Jason, why would you give a Super Bowl ready roster to a rookie quarterback? It seems so counterintuitive. And so 
crazy, another mystery we're facing. So do they keep cheering against all those odds, and or do they make a move, guys, real quick to get another guy? Now, we thought Cam Newton was thought about as a possibility. Do they trade Jimmy to New England and get Cam Newton mm-hmm. back and mm-hmm. team warms the seat for the rookie? Or Teddy Bridgewater was mentioned, however, that's off the table. He went to Denver today. So uh, the belief is that Jimmy is gone, but to your point, Jason, it seems crazy to give a Super Bowl-ready roster to a rookie. Brian Murphy of Murph and Mac on KNBR in San Francisco with us here on Spain and Fitz. Bill Barnwell just tweeted, if the 49ers really would have been happy with any of the five quarterbacks, why didn't they just trade up to six knowing the Bengals aren't drafting a quarterback and they need one of Sewell or Chase? Another great point. <laughs> uh, again, it could be, well, we didn't know we wanted any of the five. We just wanted the one, and now we know we want the five. But again, I think everybody's lying because they always are. Brian, we have to let you go. So 30 seconds or less. What else do the 49ers need after this pick? <laughs> Oh, my God. It's so boring after that. Oh, my God. If we're not talking back to shows, people are bored off there. People are bored off. They don't even think about the fact that they desperately need a starting cornerback. Mm. So that would be the number one lesson. And they're still looking for edge rushers, guys. Uh, 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 D4's health problems continue to, to nag. They want somebody to anchor on the other side of Nick Bosa. So a corner and an edge rusher. But it's all about the number three pick. It's all about Mac Jones. And it's all about the implosion that you guys will feel across the country Can't from wait. the San Francisco Bay Area. All Can't right? wait. And we thank you and everybody in San Francisco and that team for providing us with content for the last several months. Much, much appreciated. <laughs> I feel you guys. Enjoy Thanks, the draft. Brian. Thank you, brother. Take care. Brian Murphy of Murph and Mac weekday mornings on KNBR in San Francisco with us here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Fitz, listen, all of, all of what we just said makes sense to me, and that's why it's frustrating, and that's why – as much as I understand the excitement around the draft, the constant breaking down of everything, you know, if someone's lying to you and you buy it, that sets off an entirely different mock draft than what we're going to see. If someone isn't lying and you don't believe them and you go oppo, then that says it just there's there's so little that we know about this year's draft in particular because of so many options at the very top level. Of the pick. But it's building suspense. Everybody has their mind it made is. up. So mm-hmm. if it turns around and all of a sudden they take pits with the third overall pick, I'm rooting for that so much. Then we just have total chaos and people blow up. Yeah, I mean, you love chaos. Uh, and it serves the Raiders when there's chaos because they're going to intend to do well and still fail miserably. So it, it benefits you if everyone That's else so does true. the same. Coming up, we had a trade today involving a QB. How does that impact the draft? We'll get into it next on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. My favorite draft stat that everybody needs to remember. From 2009 to 2016, 22 quarterbacks were selected in the first round of the NFL draft. Today, none of those 22 quarterbacks are still on the team that picked them. It's a failed process, and every year we continually obsess about it, and I still love it. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline, and Sarah and I have talked about this a bunch. We are excited that we are finally nearing the end. By the way, don't forget you can listen to the ESPN, uh, ESPN Radio for the NFL Draft, obviously, starting tomorrow night. We won't be on, and if you uh, also want to watch on the live stream version, you can go check it out on your phone on the ESPN app, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, wherever you live stream. I'll be hanging out with a massive crew for the next couple of days as we get everything taken care of on the draft there. So every single pick can be heard on ESPN Radio Fear not. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, by the way, going to get in the zone, the first pick of the NFL draft. Get in the zone, brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. So let's head over to the Goodyear hotline to get some more draft analysis. Eric Adom, Yahoo Sports lead NFL draft analyst. Eric, thanks for the time. We've been breaking this thing down from every possible angle, and I feel like there's only so many ways you can cook an egg, and we're out of them. So what's the most interesting thing about the draft that we just aren't talking enough about? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I, I've been sort of thinking about like new ways to sort of <laughs> spin this thing and, and get cast interesting lights on it. I will say this. I mean, there are some players who have been who have been mocked routinely in in round one, uh, and I've only started kind of looking at other mock drafts. I, it's sort of a habit. I don't really like looking at them until like the last week or two. Uh, but there are some people who are being mocked there who won't go in round one because of injury concerns. They're they're this of all years with no combine, sketchy medical information. Not every single player was able to make it to the combine recheck. You know, a couple of weeks back. There's some real concern out there by team doctors, some some skittish GMs who are afraid to pull a pick out of, you know, out of nowhere and find out. Uh oh, we've got we've got issues with the injury stuff. But that and then that little cluster at 10, 11, 12, all NFC's teams: Dallas, New York, Philly. I think some of them are looking at the same players. That's kind of an interesting little, you know, sort of uh, second wave of the draft uh, storyline. I think we should follow. Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Eric Hedlum of Yahoo Sports. Talk about this trade today. The first glance at the Broncos getting Bridgewater makes you think, okay, well, maybe they aren't going to trade a QB then. And then you actually think this puts them in a better position. Now they've got an established vet, someone to really compete for the job. And same goes for the Panthers. They've opened up a little bit more space to look as well. So what do you think this trade is telling us about those teams and maybe even other teams in the draft? Yeah, it's really kind of interesting. Obviously, they pick back to back. They're at eight and nine. Carolina at eight. Denver at nine. So obviously, there's there's kind of a you know interesting little symmetry here with the trade. And you know what happens to Drew Locke? Is he going to be allowed to compete with Teddy Bridgewater, or are they planning on drafting a quarterback who could come in and and you know start out behind Teddy maybe, and then make, give him a run for his job? You know, and and the thing with the Sam Darnold trade, yes, they gave up three picks uh, to bring him to Carolina, but you get the sense that. I think this is a little bit of a scratch-off lottery ticket here, and the feeling is, you know, he'll have a year or something to prove himself, but it wouldn't stun me to see them draft someone as well. I mean, I think if Carolina were going to go quarterback in the first round, I believe it would probably be Justin Fields over Trey Lance if that was the, the, the situation, if they were somehow picking between the two. You know, if Denver had that choice and they were, you know, dead set on taking a QB – you know, just to give them flexibility you can trade Drew Locke if you want to, you know, that sort of thing. Groom a young guy. Maybe it's Lance. I don't know. But I think both teams also could go other directions. And trading down is most certainly an option, especially for Carolina. I really think that in, in their dream scenario, unless somebody really great falls to them at eight, uh, they're going to look to move back a little bit. We're talking to Eric Edholm, Yahoo Sports lead NFL draft analyst. I think it's interesting on your most recent mock draft that's up today uh, uh, at Yahoo, you've got Justin Fields, who I think is the second best quarterback in this draft, just falling to New England at 15, which is a dream scenario for the Patriots. How nervous, though, if that starts to happen, if we see Fields sitting there at 10, 11, 12, 13, how antsy will teams, including New England, get about trying to trade up to get the quarterback at that point? Yeah, and you can tell I kind of couched with my comments. Like, do I really think he's going to just slide to 15 and nobody makes an effort to trade up? No, probably not. So, um, you know, if, if he does get past a certain point, and I think the, the trade activity will start at six with Miami, it'll certainly continue with Detroit at seven. We mentioned Carolina and Denver. What are their plans? Hard to know, but Carolina would be a spot I could target. And then that, that sort of three-pick cluster I mentioned earlier with Dallas, New York Giants, Philly, you know, those teams may be wanting to move if the team ahead of them pick the, you know, the defensive player or possibly the wide receiver that they're looking for. 
So those are kind of the five or six sweet spots that you can you can leapfrog and not have to pay a crazy price. Like if you're a New England comer from 15 and going up to eight, you know, the thinking is Bill Belichick will never pay the price that the, that the 49ers paid to move up from 12 to three. He just won't. I don't care. I mean, I don't I, I, I don't believe it. He won't pay that kind of cost to get up there. But could he move, you know, seven picks and give up a future first possibly or, you know, this year's second or something? I can see it. And what about the Bears? I mean, they have to be in a position of desperation. Sarah, I'm not trying to put you on the spot here as the Chicago girl, but they would figure to be a team very much, if not desperate, very anxious to get a quarterback and get one pretty early. Yeah, because those two jobs, uh, both both Nagy yeah. and Pace, depend on them having a great year. And the way they're set up now, they won't. they got to do something. Yep. And as much as people yep. might say it's not worth it to trade too much to get there, it's going to be worth it to those guys for their jobs. So it's just a matter of who's got the power in that situation to prevent them from making moves that benefit them immediately instead of the team long term. That's the power struggle in there that you have to keep an eye on. Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports, lead NFL draft analyst with us here on Spain & Fitz. You know, Eric, we um, we talked earlier in the show about the potential for teams to judge opt-outs as potentially a negative, not just, you know, the moral decision to sit out, but what have they been doing the past year? What kind of attitude do they have towards work and prepping themselves for the draft? Do you think that that has any effect whatsoever on how the draft goes tomorrow? And by that, I mean whether teams are more likely to trade or whether the movement will affect people more because they haven't been able to see as many guys or those lingering right. health concerns that they haven't been able to see. Is that is there any correlation there? I think there, it does happen on a case-by-case basis where you ask yourself, for instance, Greg Rousseau from Miami. You know, he had a redshirt freshman year, 15 and a half sacks in 2019. Uh, you know, he barely played the year before. He was allowed to take the redshirt. He was an example of a player who was still very raw in a lot of respects where you would have loved to see some 2020 tape on him because a lot of his production came when he was inside, not as an edge rusher. You know, he's this big, you know, physical freak of a, of a specimen um, and really has some intriguing upside. The people there like them too, but, you know, what do you do with that? I mean, I, it's really hard to say exactly where he'll go. He's one I could see kind of twisting in the wind a little bit, and the opt-out kind of works against him in a, in a sort of way. Like Caleb Farley, Virginia Tech corner, right? I mean, he came out and said he's one of the first opt-outs. Look, I lost my mom uh, last year in 2018 at the time. I, I can't afford to lose another parent. And now he's COVID mm. positive and can't oh. attend the draft. Like in the yeah. interviews with, with teams, they all got it. They understood. He had a very reasonable reason for, for opting out. And I think teams just want to know, like, what was your reasoning? Just tell me, you know, let, let's, let's hear what your thought process was for Jamar Chase. He's just good. You know I mean? Like that's why he opted out. I think, cause he didn't need to play this year and he's still going to be a, you know, top five or six pick. Real quick before we let you go, Eric, I'm going to ask you a selfish question because I'm a Raiders fan. And you've got Micah Parsons going at seven to the Lions, and I've seen a bunch of mocks that have him going down to 20. He's a dream pick for me. So why do you see him going so much higher than most other people? Yeah, I think Detroit would try to grab him on the way back. I couldn't, you know, it was – I. I think Penny Sewell makes a lot more sense for them at seven if they stick there. I think Detroit has interest in Parsons, but – you know, to turn it towards your, your Raiders question, I mean, he sort of checks all the, at least the classic Raider boxes, right? The Al Davis uh, boxes for that, for that uh, team. The athletic traits are, are off the charts. Some of the character questions that have come up, you know, he's been named in, in the, the bullying scandal there, some other stuff that have lingered. Uh, that would be a, 
absolute vintage uh, Raiders pick if it did happen. And it's a position I think they could look at, but Mike Mayock has tended to kind of look more towards the, you know, the, the cleaner sheet guys a little bit, fewer concerns off the field. I don't know. Will they, will they take that, that risk? I'm not sure. I could see Parsons absolutely going much later than seven. I just think Detroit is a team that if they move back could be very interested. You can check out his latest mock out on yahoo.com. Uh, great, uh, great read. Eric Edholm, man, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Great work, brother. Anytime. Thanks, guys. All right, coming up next, we'll check in on the hottest pitcher on the planet and a scary moment in the game. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Now, Sarah, we've been having a little bit, and we'll get back to our draft conversation in just a few minutes, obviously, as we are uh, 24 hours away from finally seeing names come off the board. So we'll we'll continue that. But we have to check in on the hottest pitcher in Major League Baseball. And I, I have a question for you around it, by the way, uh, because Jacob deGrom has been absolutely, we all know this at this point, lights out. He's outdoing even himself in this process, by the way. Uh, he's what to watch for. Everyone's got a cousin from Boston who forgets their wallet at dinner, but never forgets a sixer of refreshing Sam Adams. Cheers to that. The Boston Beer Company, Boston Mass, savor the flavor responsibly. Uh, and obviously what to watch for tonight is in this Mets matchup is DeGrom. But it raises a question I have to ask you because we're going to start, after we get through the draft, some of my bachelor process of figuring mm-hmm. out what team to root for. There are some cultural things around the past of the Mets that obviously are reasons not to root for them. But... They are changing some of that culturally, it seems like. So I was looking the other day because I, you know, I've got Annabelle up here and I'm like, I got my little puppy with me. And I looked the other day and thought, I'm going to find when the world is reopened a baseball place where I can take my dog. And the Mets do dog days where you have a couple games a year where you can take your dog to the ballpark. So I'm trying to figure out, like, does that is that a reason that I should include them in the list or does their past make them a reason that I should just exclude them altogether? Uh, what I would tell you is that there are bark-in-the-park Major League Baseball games across the league. Not every team, but plenty of teams have their day at the ballpark with dogs. Uh, in fact, you can even track bark-at-the-park dog-friendly MLB games for the season in advance, and they'll tell you all of them that are available. Uh, and I would also tell you, when you have an entire array of teams across a league, why would you choose a dumpster fire? Whether or not they're improving... They are historically one that is mocked for decision-making. They are historically one that has these blips of success and then immediately go back in the dumpster. They are one that appears to have a very bad culture issue that hasn't been eradicated merely by getting rid of Porter and Callaway. There are still concerns about reports to HR that went unreacted un, uh, to. Um, and again, you have all the other teams in Major League Baseball to choose from. This is like taking a stale cookie that is sugar and gluten-free ahead of I don't, literally any other delicious treat. I can't think of them because it's literally all the rest of them. You, you make a very, very fair point. I, I like looked at my fandom portfolio. Like, I mean, There's right, not a lot of good my, in there, so maybe I should choose, diversify. Yeah, you're yeah right. maybe like, you should choose. <laughs> so you mentioned DeGrom, by the way. That's one reason to root for them because it's really fun to have an absolute ace superstar on your team. And there's a story in 538 right now about what he's doing. One of the craziest things that he does is he gets people to have absurd takes like, well, if he can't win games, then he's not that good. Understanding, of course, that this is a person who had a sub-2 ERA for a whole season in 2018, has won a couple Cy Youngs, 
in last season, as short as it was, struck out almost 40% of opposing batters. He is on fire this season as well, and he still gets morons arguing that it should be about whether he has enough wins. That team doesn't do jack you-know-what for him, and that has nothing to do with his pitching. I'm so sick of hearing people trot out these awful takes, and DeGrom is what brings it out of them. So I guess if you like to hear awful takes, there's another good reason to root for that team because you're going to hear a whole lot of them around DeGrom. You're right, and by the way, DeGrom is the reason we need to start yelling, you know, as we say all the time for quarterbacks, like wins and losses are not a quarterback yes. stat. Like, are we at the spot, really? Especially for baseball. The, the one thing that really blows my mind when we have that argument around baseball is that most baseball fanatics are so entrenched in the history of the game with an understanding of analytics and an understanding of, of how it works to a point that I'm surprised that we have to have that conversation. Right. right? Well, like, I mean, it's not the... It's not the baseball people. It's the bloviating, gas bagging, talking heads like you and me who cover all the sports and they come across a story like this. Instead of digging into the statistics that he puts up, they look at his win-loss record and they think that that can decide something for him. Uh, pretty dumb, in my opinion. Although, you know, he has given up a run tonight. So I guess, you know, maybe he is. Trying. I'm out. I'm out. No, and in fairness, I didn't know until you said bark in the park that that's what it's called. And now I'm learning that yeah. there are even minor yeah. league stadiums that do this too. Oh, like, I didn't know Barker Park was the thing. I didn't know it was a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, this is part of why we need Major League Bachelor. It's Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio. Uh, By the way, uh, Stosh pointing out to us, our producer, DeGrom, three innings tonight, three Ks. The Red Sox are up 1-0, so the ERA went up to .56. I don't know if he's still batted in more runs than he's given up this season. (laughs) It might be a tie at this point now. But, yeah, just incredible stuff from DeGrom. And, yeah, you know, for your Mets fans out there, don't get into my men. She's all angry. Your team is looking up. New ownership is exciting. Hopefully they fix the culture issues. But if you had any team to choose from, even you Mets fans, deep down in your heart, you know you would not select the Mets over other fine, completely functional baseball teams. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. I have to say, too, like as a fan of a team that perennially stinks, right? Like we know that my favorite football team is bad every year, almost every year, right? I don't understand why fans get so mad when you call out the fact that their organization is trash. Like, I will sit back and, and look at it when somebody throws hate to the Raiders, and I'll sort of shrug my shoulders and say, well, yeah, that's probably right. Yeah, until that you up. prove otherwise. Yeah. Like, until yeah. you prove otherwise is a pretty simple concept. Sports fans don't care. By the way, scary moment in that game. Uh, home plate umpire in the Red Sox-Mets game took a foul ball to the head off the bat mm. of Francisco Lindor. Red Sox catcher uh, Christian Vasquez and Francisco Lindor immediately turned to grab him. He's clearly woozy. The umpire has left the game. So all thoughts, prayers are hopeful that he is going to be absolutely fine. Uh, We'll keep you updated if we hear anything on that. Uh, Of course, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, One thing that we have been doing through the course of this, and uh, we've been stretching it out. I'm not going to lie. We've been stretching it out, right? We've been casting different coaches. Yes. I just want to remind you, just slow down. You know what? You you did a whole other show. I forgot to mention that you cheated on me again, and this is a good time as any to remind everyone that Fitz once again cheated on me by doing three hours of radio with Mike Golick Jr. before our show tonight instead of saving everything up for me. And now, you know, you're talking real fast. I think I think you probably had. Did you have a couple extra sparkling waters? No, I mean, no. no just really? Just, just oh, normal just... me. Yeah, just okay. I thought, I thought maybe the energy was a little hyped up from the back-to-back-to-back-to-back shows. You made your Sports Nation debut last night. How'd it go? It was good. I, it was, it was okay. pretty good. Yeah, so it's, it was pretty just good. worried about you. I don't want you to work too hard. I don't want you to show up here. And, you know, I, 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 just, I don't want you to burn out. I, I got too much energy to burn out. <sighs> Not me. I'm always – I'm go, right. go, go. Uh, all right. Back hey. to the casting of coaches. All right. Coast, catching, mm, casting of coaches. <laughs> See? That's why I don't talk for a living. 
Uh, so we've been asking everybody to give us their thoughts on who would be cast if there was a movie to be made of coaches. Uh, that based on Kevin James uh, playing Sean Payton in a movie, upcoming movie. So this time it is AFC South. I am a little curious to see what we're going to get out of AFC South because we talk about it a lot, sir. And certain coaches, you know, certain divisions seem to have good looking coaches. Uh, certain mm-hmm. divisions have. Interesting looking coaches. I think I might put the AFC South more in this. Like, I'm not sure there's a real doppelganger for Mike Vrabel. It's got to be somebody that's like <laughs> thick with two C's and sort of has mm-hmm. like that thing. I don't know what that is, but like that seems like a tough one to actually cast. Yeah, there's going to be some interesting ones here. I look forward to it. We got, uh, we'll put it up at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz at the commercial. I'll put up uh, photos of each of the coaches so you guys can help us cast it. We'll pay it off later. We've gotten some really impressive casting professionals out in our menchies. I have to admit, in the past, we have had some surprising... I mean, Bill Belichick and the lady from Goonies and Throw Mama from the Train stands out as a real winner that I never would have imagined before. Um, so I think I think we're going to get some good ones. I'm intrigued by the Urban Meyer casting. Yeah, that's a, that's a good call I on that one. I can't really think of anyone that looks like Urban Meyer, but I'm sure you guys are going to help me out on that. But that, yet, he stands out to me as one that I don't, I don't know. I don't know what he looks like. Well, and and Frank Reich, I mean, kind of sneaky, you know, good-looking comps there. I I think we're going to get some easy ones on Frank Reich. I've got some in mind. I just don't want to say anything to anybody yet uh, until we see what the viewers and listeners have to say, right? Oh, absolutely. Scott Bakula all the way. (laughs) That is a reference right there. Like, that's a name I haven't even thought of in a very— Quantum Leap, baby. Wow. We went full Quantum Leap. Uh, So, yeah, we'll we'll put them up there. You guys tell us— uh, what you got on it. I think this one's going to be more of a challenge than we've seen in a long time. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I, I think that it's going to take a little bit of work to dig to get the right ones on this one, but it's always enjoyable to see what you guys come up with. Uh, not always enjoyable is the draft for many teams, but it will be enjoyable for one team, the Jags. I think the fortunes in Jacksonville are about to change and change drastically. A new era of football about to begin. A former Jag will tell us what he thinks about the future of the franchise next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, and as always, hanging out with you on the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. One day away from the NFL draft. Finally, real picks, real stakes, then immediate grades based on absolutely nothing. It's Spain and Fitz. <laughs> Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Fitz going to be all over the draft coverage this weekend, starting tomorrow, really. It's, a, I guess, a long draft weekend starting Thursday night. Uh, and we still have so many questions about what's going to happen tomorrow. So we got all sorts of experts on tonight to walk us through some of the teams and their decision making. Joining us now in the Goodyear Hotline, LA Rams color analyst, NFL Network analyst, and former Jaguars player, amongst other places, Maurice Jones Drew. MJD, thanks for the time. No, no problem, Sarah. How are you? I'm pretty all right. I'm I'm ready for the draft. I'm really done with mock drafts. I'm ready for the real thing. And having played for the Jaguars for a long time, I wonder what you make of Urban Meyer uh, stepping in and, and what you think of the inevitable of Trevor Lawrence getting there, um, how quickly we can expect this team to actually be um, competitive. Well, first of all, I think Urban Meyer is a great hire because he's really changed programs, right? And, and let's be honest, organizations are just programs. They're, they're, they're built differently than college, but Urban's had success everywhere he's been. If it was Utah, Florida, Ohio State, he's always been successful. And so I thought it was a great hire on that aspect of it. But as a Jaguars fan, you can't expect it to turn around like tomorrow. You have to give him at least three years to build this roster back up. 
They have a ton of draft capital. They have a lot of money. And so it's all about hiring guys that are, are bringing in guys that are willing to compete and really buy into your philosophy. And so from my understanding in the building, it's just a different atmosphere. It's changed, and a lot of people are excited about it. All right, so you mentioned a ton of draft capital. I think it's been under-talked about. Four picks in the top 45 for Jacksonville. So there is the opportunity to do a lot here. What else do you think the Jags are looking at to help Trevor Lawrence with this rebuild? Uh, I mean, they're going to rebuild the whole roster. Like defense, offense, offensive line, tight end. They talked about adding another running back. Um, I thought the receiver – I think the receiver core is really, really strong before they added all the free agents. So I think they're good there. But but to be honest, it's – it's more about really protecting Trevor Lawrence, and I think that's going to be the offensive line that you're going to see. I think you're going to have to protect him as well by adding some pieces to that defense. And and so, for me, again, having uh, four picks in the top 45, it's, it's about making the picks that are going to impact your roster. So many times we see guys make picks and guys bust, or they don't they don't pan out. That's kind of been the Jaguars' way over the last couple of years. Hopefully, they they they, make, they get some guys and they keep them this time. You know, like. The Jags have traded away a lot of talent. I mean, Jalen Ramsey, uh, Yannick Ngakwe, um, let Clayus Campbell go, right? Guys that are that were really balling. You got to make sure you try to keep that homegrown talent there and, and make sure that they flourish in your system for years to come. Spain and Fitz, Harris Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to former Jag and Raider Maurice Jones-Drew on the Goodyear hotline. We saw the trade today, sending Bridgewater to the Broncos, um, you know, this opens up a lot of questions about whether the Broncos and the Panthers might still decide to go for quarterbacks. Um, first of all, I think we all just want to be a decent quarterback in the NFL because I believe he's $17 million or so that he made for one season there in Carolina. Uh, that's a topic for another time. What do you make of what this means for the draft selections of the Broncos and Panthers? Well, I think the Broncos, you know, when you look at uh, Vic Banjo and what he's looking for, right, he's just looking for a guy that can – not lose games, right? He's a defensive-minded coach. If you look at what Pete Carroll was when before he first had Russell Wilson, had a great running game, great defense. That's what you're going to see in Denver, the running game. You have Melvin Gordon. Um, you have some young guys there that can go in and make plays. And so they want they, they want a, a, a complimentary offense with some young pieces and a great defense. And so that's what Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater comes in. We knew he was going to land somewhere. I think when you look at the Panthers, to me, I'm concerned. And their concern is this. And there's no disrespect to Sam Darnold, but this is his play. Since he's been in high school, he turned the ball over. He turned the ball over at USC. He turned the ball over for the Jets. If you're the Carolina Panthers and you're a coach and you think that you can get him away from turning the ball over, you have to be crazy. That's just what he's done. He likes to make those type of plays. And so he's, a, he's an aggressive quarterback, and that's not going to help you win games. And, and so for me, if you're the Panthers, okay, you, you're all in on Darnold. You need to go with a, a tackle to protect him. He has protection. You have weapons around. You have Christian McCaffrey. But now it's all on Sam Darnold. Can Sam Darnold really put the, the, the Panthers over the top in a division where you have Jameis Winston that'll probably be a quarterback with the Saints and Sean Payton and Tom Brady and the Super Bowl reigning champions and then Matt Ryan and the Falcons who may be taking arguably the best player in the draft at number four. We're talking to Maurice Jones-Drew, L.A. Rams color analyst, also works for the NFL Network. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Whenever I talk to somebody that played the game at the highest level, I love their thoughts on that position. You obviously had a tremendously successful career as a running back. We got Najee Harris, Travis Etienne out. Which running back do you prefer? Oh, so this, I'm just going to give you guys – it's a loaded question for me. All right, Najee Harris grew up in my hometown, so <laughs> that's in Antioch, California, so that's, that's neither here nor there. But um, 
I actually got a chance to coach against them in seven-on-seven high school football and in, in, in high school tackle football. Najee Harris, to me, is a complete package. He was back then. He was the number one player in the country coming out of high school. He goes to Alabama and is a star there. Um, he's, he's just a tremendous player. And, and it's not about his ability to um, run the ball in between the tackles or outside or his reader. It's his versatility. He runs routes like Christian McCaffrey. He can get open. He can run every route the receiver can run. He can catch the ball his size. Uh, I mean, he has the total thing. The only thing that he doesn't have is the breakaway speed. But, you know, sometimes you need that break. That, that he, can, he can break it from 50 yards. Now, it may not be 80. But, listen, the guy can go. And so, for me, it's, it's like when you look at him, and he, he is the cream of the crop in the draft. And I felt like last year he would have been one of the top backs last year if he would have came out as well. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, talking to Maurice Jones-Drew. You can hear him calling games for the Rams and analyzing football on the NFL Network. Is there anybody we're not talking about that you, you've you been watching and you think, you know, I'm surprised people are underrating this guy or just not talking about him enough? I, I think there's a lot of guys in this draft. This is a very deep draft, so it's, it's hard to p- pick out one guy. Um, one of my favorite players to watch is Jared Patterson from Buffalo, 5'7", obviously. Sarah, you know how I feel about short running backs. I feel like they're <laughs> yep. the greatest. Mm-hmm. But if you look at what he did this year in the shortened season, he scored 19 touchdowns in, in six games. He broke uh, a, a college single season rushing record. Probably almost got the rushing touchdown if, if the coach would have gave him the ball again. But, um, you know, he's, he's a tremendous guy. I think there's the left tackle out of Alabama. His name, I miss his name. I forget his name right now. He doesn't get talked about. But he's a guy that doesn't give up a lot of sacks and is a dominant player, but he's not one of the top tackles in the game as well. Javon Holland out of Oregon, uh, sophomore DB that I had the ability to coach. Phenomenal player. Uh, Ball Hawk, I, it reminds me of Charles Woodson, a guy that can play offense and defense, play every position on defense from corner, safety, linebacker, uh, can cover tight ends like Kyle Pitts and those kind of guys that we're going to start seeing coming in the NFL. So uh, there, I think there's a ton of guys out there that you can, we can really talk about um, because, because of COVID and, and guys being able to opt out and stay and all those things. You have so much talent in this draft class that uh, it, it's going to be hard for a team to miss on some guys here if they pick the you know if they make the right choices that, that benefit their team. Talking to Maurice Jones, Drew, real quick, I got to ask you. I'm the lifelong Raiders fan on here. I'm hosting one of the draft broadcasts tomorrow. Seventeenth pick. For once, I don't want to be surprised. What do you think the Raiders are going to do? Like, who do they pick at seventeen? Yeah, it, so a lot of people, I put in my mock draft a linebacker, but after talking with some people there, um, it could be, you know, offensive linemen. I, I don't think it's that big of a surprise. Uh, it won't be like a splash pick, I don't think. I don't think they go linebacker. I think they may go uh, maybe D-tackle, D-end, D another pass rusher, because that, that system they're running, you need guys to come off the bench and rush the passer. So don't be surprised if it's, it's a defensive lineman or a uh, offensive lineman in this draft. I'll take awesome and, stuff. Be, and let me say this at the end. I'm, I'm a Raider, and I, I feel your pain. I grew up a Raiders <laughs> fan. I know I played for Ooh. the Jags, but that was my team growing up. Mm. Uh, we got we, we to start winning eventually. I, right? We got to make it happen. I, I mean, but as, Do you, though? <laughs> as everyone has been reminding me on campus all day today, every year I'm like, this is the year we're going to get it right. I am Charlie Brown <laughs> running up for the football, <laughs> and the draft is the football that moves every year, dude. I, like, it's, it's painful. All right. You, but you're in Chicago, right? Uh, no, I'm in I'm in Connecticut. Uh, Sarah's the lucky one uh, in Chicago. I'm I'm up in Bristol. Lucky. I was gonna say, oh, uh, well, I mean, who does? I mean, I guess they had the Patriots, but I mean, they're about to go through their their Jaguars uh, season here coming soon. 
Yeah. They're, they're going to be bad for the next couple of years. They got to keep rebuilding and trying to make it work. Um, but it is okay. And Sarah, you know how I feel about your your Bears. Listen, I you, you've you know had more than enough them. to say about my Bears and their quarterback situation at varying times yeah. in your career. We all know. We um, all remember. And, and it hasn't changed. Like, uh, so how do we we know. I know. It's gotten worse somehow. Uh, thanks for the insight, and thanks for making us both depressed leading into tomorrow's That's why I drink. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, man. Appreciate all it. All three of us are depressed. Hopefully the That's jazz right. make it work out, guys. Thank you for having me. Got to stay hopeful. Maurice Jones-Drew on Spain and Fitz brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. I will never forget those cutty takes, ever. Uh, Coming up, a mock draft that won't bore you. It's next, ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. This is Spain and Fitz. I'm going to go out after the draft and I'm going to get like, I'm going to sit down at the bar and I'm going to say, I want one of everything. And I mean from the dessert menu. I don't care. I'm going to a steakhouse because they have great dessert and I'm going to make it rain on copious amounts of cake. I made a Victoria uh, sponge cake uh, with a bit of sugar work. Well, it does look a picture. This is what you will be served up. Chocolate lava cake, New York cheesecake, Mm -hmm. creme brulee, carrot cake. This is the worst cake we've ever seen. Key lime pie, chocolate cooey butter cake, and fresh fruit and chantilly cream. For a combined calorie count of, I can't do the math, but 1340 plus 960 plus 820 plus 1260 plus 740 plus 780 plus 220. Holy crap. Moderation. Thank you, America. Oh, I cannot wait. You know what? I just hear that, and it only makes me double down on it. Maybe I'll get second. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel lady. I'm the worst. My insides are dead. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Still talking about food, friend? Oh, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Good Lord. All right. It's it's mocking season. We're just going to start a new tradition every year with the NFL draft of mocking the mocks because the number of people that have come up with these incredible mocks, Sarah, is a little mind-blowing to me. And I laughed today when somebody asked me, when I was talking to one radio station, they asked me like, what my mock process is and how I evaluate. And I'm like, do I make my own mock? And I'm like, dude, does the world need a mock from me? No. Like, The best thing we could do is be like, X on this mock, no more. X on this mock, no more. So instead of giving you which linebacker is going to be the fourth linebacker selected that none of us really know, instead we are going to mock something that everybody can get into. It's been a different category every single day. Today we are going to mock movies that when they're on the TV, you simply can't turn them off. This is simple. Mm -hmm. It's just that one. So we'll Mm -hmm. try and get to five. We'll see. And because I have won the coin toss the last couple of days, Sarah, you, my friend, get to go first. Excellent. I'm going to be judicious about my order because I'm afraid you might steal some of my best. So I'm starting with one that isn't my top choice, but I'm worried you'll steal it. And it is Shawshank Redemption. Oh, that's good. That Shawshank good. Redemption, one of the most rewatchable movies of all time. You get in it anywhere. You're in. You're ready. You want to get to that hope at the end. You know what? That is a great call, and I'm just doing a little scribbling here. No, don't mind me. Uh, this is difficult, too, because <laughs> it gets it gets a little crazy. Now, one thing you know, for me, for many of these movies that I can't stop watching, it's because they they were on, on a tour bus. And there's just a certain like mindset for me where you just sit on a bus, you'll watch a movie uh, front to back. One of those movies that's always a go-to for me, I don't know if this is even on your list, Sarah, but I'll start with The Hangover. Ooh, that is a great one. There is a tiger in the bathroom. 
I mean, that is <laughs> the, the number of times in my life I find myself saying, I, I don't know why I have to ask for pants at a time like this. Like, th- there are so many moments in The Hangover that just matter to me that I had to go hangover first overall with my movie. I cannot turn off. But I will say, don't give me the edited one. Like, I, I love you, TNT, but I need bad words for this movie to work. Yeah, which brings me to my second choice. And it does matter what channel you happen upon this on. But even in the unfortunate situation where I get to this movie and it is edited, I will still probably watch the whole thing. It is coming to America. I want you to put your hands together and welcome him to the stage. Big round of applause for Jackson Heights' own Mr. Randy Watson. Yes, Randy Watson. (laughs) That boy is good. Uh, uh, Sarah, I'm terrible. You, you have you have ripped my heart out with that. That is yes! that's well picked by you. That is well Thank picked you. by you. Thank you. I, I will reveal a secret now to the world that uh, hopefully my friend won't get in trouble for revealing. But uh, for many years, I don't know if it still is, but when I was on tour with Phil Vassar, his hotel check-in name was always Randy Watson. That like because nice. you know artists never That's check in amazing. with their name. It's yeah. always Randy Watson. So I love that. And uh, the number of times that he would just say Randy Watson on stage, sexual is, chocolate. Oh my God, uh, <laughs> that is just. That's There's amazing. a wine called sexual chocolate, and it's good. Oh, in case wow. you ever see it out at the store, sexual chocolate is delicious. Wow. Okay. Uh, I, I did not know that. Now I want to buy a whole case. Uh, next up for <laughs> me, uh, I, I'm going to stay in the stupid humor department because for some reason I can't turn this off. Next up for me is going to be Step Brothers. Did we just become best friends? Yep. I, I just That is a good one. I, I never think of it. Like, I don't ever turn that movie on. But if I walk in the room and it's on, I've just lost an hour and a half of my life. Like, there's nothing I can do. I can't turn it off. Well, I just moved around my order because I'm afraid you're going to steal my next one. I thought you were about to say it. Dumb and Dumber. Yep. No, I'm out on Dumb and Dumber. What? I'm out on Dumb and Dumber. You like Step Brothers more than Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, Dumb and Dumber is just not. No, no. <gasps> this is where we are. This is why the these amount of times are. that I say, "Oh, I'll have the soup of the day." What's what's the soup du jour? Soup of the day. Mm, that sounds delicious. I'll have that. Or kick his ass, sea bass. Or. Pretty bird, pretty bird, or Samsonite, I was way off. Wow. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah. Thank you. Guys, guys. How about pull over, pull over. It's a cardigan. Thanks for noticing. Uh, you know what? I feel like... Did just, you need to see the movie again? I, I do. I feel like maybe I wasn't in the right spot when I saw yeah. Dumb and Dumber the first time, and it just didn't hit me, and now I've, every time everybody's like, oh my God, no, no, I'm like, uh-huh. Okay. Oh, big okay. Golf, huh? All right. <laughs> well, see you later. I love that all these clips are in the system because everybody else knows it's a great movie, Fitz. <sighs> all right. We're going to watch it together. Yeah. We're going to do that thing where you like start the movie at the same time in Netflix. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. No, but you're right. With like our I snacks. Think, I think it does sometimes matter the people you're around when you watch it. So maybe I need to give it another. Yeah. I'm willing to open my we'll horizons. We'll have a Spain and Fitz movie watch. We'll get all the snacks from our road trip and we'll watch it all together. While we're, so you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah, that's right. While we're on the topic of stupid movies, and I don't know why these are all stupid movies for me, but my third pick, I'm going to stay in the stupid movie uh, category here. I'm going Wedding Crashers. What an idiot. Oh, great answer. What a loser. Hmm, great answer. Oh, gosh, that's good. All right, I'm going, uh, I'm going uh, not quite as dumb comedy. I'm going Almost Famous. 
Oh my God! What a great movie! Yeah, what a yeah. great like what? It's not on my list, and now I'm looking at my GM, mm-hmm. thinking I need to make personnel mm-hmm. changes somewhere. Like that Feeling is like the Raiders over there. I mean, that is a yeah. This is the moment, like late in the draft, when the Saints always get it right. That's what you just did. <laughs> uh, I'll go with my next pick. Uh, not a dumb humor one, but one that I every time I watch it, I can't turn it off. It resonates for my love of Halloween. Also, Ghostbusters will be next Ooh, on my list. Ghostbusters. That's a good one. Oh, gosh. Okay, we're down to our last pick. And I have to tell you, speaking of holidays, you just mentioned Halloween. I almost went with The Holiday, which I could watch a billion times. But it's it's a Christmas movie, and I usually wait and watch it around Christmas. It's exactly something that you turn on in a regular month and find. So I went instead with Top Gun. Oh, God, that's another good one. I, you were The gonna volleyball crush me. scene? Like, you are going to crush me in this. The, the, the vote on this is not going to be friendly to me. Uh, you're, and you're right, by the way. I almost had Christmas Vacation on my list, but I took mm-hmm. it off because it is a Christmas movie. It's Christmas, yeah. I replaced it with one I know is not on your list, but I'll always watch it. Star Wars. The original Ooh. Star Wars. Oh, I excellent. I will never, never turn it off. I, you know, I, you I just can't. All Company right. man. Oh, Company st- man over there. <laughs> Oh, man. So Stoss just chimed in that I won because of Star Wars. This is going to be a tight race, I yeah, think. Yeah, this is going to be good. You guys can vote on how we did next. We'll go to Denver. We'll go to Carolina and get the reactions to the Teddy Bridgewater deal and what it means for those teams tomorrow night. Next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. It's been interesting this year. A lot of trades earlier than we're used to when it comes to draft equity. I mean, we, we all sort of go into tomorrow night wondering what teams are thinking. But maybe we got a little indication today of what a couple of teams are doing in general as the Panthers have traded quarterback Teddy Bridgewater to the Denver Broncos for a sixth-round pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. It was announced on Wednesday. So we want to get both sides of this and what it means for everybody, not just for this season, but even for tomorrow night. So to do that, we'll head over to the Goodyear Hotline. And first, we'll talk to ESPN Broncos reporter Jeff Legwell. Jeff, thanks for the time, man. We appreciate it. So, uh, I mean, obviously, everybody feels like the Broncos are in the quarterback market. Does Teddy Bridgewater close the door for needs for additional quarterbacks for them? Oh, not at all. I think they're still going to look and see how it all unfolds tomorrow night and see if they want to, you know, take the plunge. If, if the if the guy they like is still on the board after the initial frenzy, I, I think they're certainly in play. Because honestly, this is a this is almost like a free player for them. They're they're only paying three million dollars of Bridgewater's ten million dollars salary guarantee and. Frankly, that's less than Joe Flacco got from the Eagles, and they they surrendered a sixth-round pick. And overall, this board is so thin uh, when you look at it in the big picture that Bridgewater is certainly far better than any player they would take in the sixth round on this board this year. And certainly better than a free agent they could get for $3 million. You mentioned the money part of this. Bridgewater leaves Carolina having made $31 million for a year, leaving a $17 million dead cap charge in his wake. This is why we all want to be decent quarterbacks, right? At least decent quarterbacks. Um, so if if this means that, you know, that, that, that 
the Broncos still need to go out and get that quarterback. Do you think Locke sticks around, or do you think they try to use him as bait maybe for a team that looks for someone in an injury situation? I think, Sarah, I think they they see this as a win-win, that if they take a quarterback, it's likely it would be one of the guys who isn't really ready to play initially. You know, say Trey Lance, he's he's just 20 years old. He won't even be 21 until next month. So uh, if Locke plays great or Bridgewater plays great, I think, you know, by the end of the season, they, they feel good because the quarterback played well and it puts them in a position of strength down the road. They get, they have uh, assets that are very popular in the league to, to make potential trades and they, they would have the prospect they really like on the roster too. So I, I, I honestly believe they will they will look very hard in the first two days of the draft to to take a rookie quarterback because I think the Bridgewater mentoring capability is is being undervalued as we talk about this trade. I, I don't know anybody in the league who doesn't think Teddy Bridgewater is a spectacular leader and, and would help any young quarterback figure out how to be a pro. Jeff, real quick before we let you go, if the quarterback that they covet is not there in the first round, any idea who they are looking at? Well, you know, Jason, all you got to do is do the math. I mean, it's unbelievable. If if four or five quarterbacks go in the top six or seven picks, the Broncos could be looking at one of the four highest graded players on the board. You, You could have one of the spectacular receivers staring you in the face. You know, Jalen Waddell, uh, if he's there, of, of, they should take him immediately and not use any of the time on the clock. But I think the quarterbacks are going to push some of this draft's best players on the board. And if they don't get the quarterback or don't see the quarterback they like, they're going to end up with a walk-in starter at nine because the guy's going to be one of the best players on their board. Jeff, we appreciate your time and your insight, my friend. Enjoy the draft. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks. Thank you very much. All right, let's take the other side of this equation. And by the way, I think what Jeff just said, they're really interesting for everybody watching the draft. Mm-hmm. Now, we're joined now by Elena Getzenberg from the Charlotte Observer. Elena, thanks for the time. Let's look at this from the Panthers' side of it. I mean, Sam Darnold acquired. Is this their way of telling Sam, hey, we're your team and there's nothing to distract you? Uh, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I would yet take that step. Um, I think this is a team that is still interested in a certain Justin Fields. Um, so I wouldn't exactly quite take that step. Um, it's been, you know, moving on from Teddy's been coming for a few months now. So not quite there yet, I would say. Have there been any promises made to Darnold as far as you know? I mean, I know here in Chicago there was a lot of QB1 for Dalton. So if there trades up, you know, there could be some some feelings hurt. Do we know anything about the expectations when he arrived? Yeah. I mean, what's been going on? I mean, I was told that it's been put out there that they were going to pick up his fifth year option. Um, they haven't done so yet though. So I think that tells you something they have until, you know, Monday, early next week to do so. Um, so no promises in terms of like, Hey, you're a thousand percent, you know, obviously he's going to get a chance to start, but you know, taking a quarterback isn't completely off the board. Um, you know, whatever situation, though, he'll have obviously the opportunity to compete for that starting job and the inside track as it stands right now. 
Elena, as Sarah just pointed out, uh, there's a lot of money being paid to Teddy Bridgewater for very little production. Is there any consequence to that? Yeah, he's going to count against the dead cap some this year. And obviously, you know, it's more last year. I mean, they paid him $31 million to play in 15 games, which is a shocking number. But it's going to count $17 million against the cap um, this year. With the way the trade worked out, they saved $6 million. But it's still a heavy cap hit, and, you know, they're going to feel it. But it's off the books next year, so they kind of get to move on in that sense. But it definitely... It, I mean, there, there's no way around it. It didn't work out. So, Lena Getzenberg of the Charlotte Observer with us here on Spain and Fitz talking about the deal that sent Bridgewater to the Broncos. Now a lot of questions for the Panthers. What are the other needs for the team in the draft this year? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, it seems just looking at the way this draft's going to go, the Panthers' preference, you know, moving back is the obvious you know, they'd love to do that if a team wants to jump ahead of them. So the biggest needs are corner. They really like those top three corners. Um, offensive line is specifically left tackle. Those are the two that would make the most sense to take in the first round. But it's kind of kind of depend how these quarterbacks fall. But definitely cornerback and left tackle are their two biggest needs. Elena, what's the sense overall so far on just evaluating Matt Rule? Because this was a team early on in the year that was more competitive than ever anyone thought, and then maybe the wheels fell off a little bit as the season went on, and now you've got quarterback turmoil. I mean, what's what's the overall sense from the fans and from the area on the Panthers? I think it's kind of wait and see, if that makes sense. You know, in the building there was some, you know, it took players a little bit to buy in to really be on the same page, understand what this coaching staff was looking for. And he saw it improve um, throughout the season. The defense got better and players were kind of buying in more. Um, but in terms of around Charlotte, I think it's still kind of, you know, he says a lot of things and a lot of nice things are said, but it's going to be interesting how this quarterback position works out and how this draft goes, I think is going to dictate how a lot of people feel. So I think it's still a little early. Um, it's sort of a long-term vision. It can be hard to see in the middle of it, but we'll see. It's it good so far, but not quite over the moon with how things have gone. Elena, we appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you so much for hanging out with us and giving us your expertise. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sarah, I still think one of the more interesting parts about all of this is that the trade happened when it did. I mean, a six-round pick for Teddy Bridgewater is nothing of consequence, but why knock this off the list today when we have no idea how everything's going to play out tomorrow? Well, what are you hearing, right? What are you maybe hearing from other teams as you're making calls about things that has you thinking... You know, you want to put yourself in whatever position you can before tomorrow night. Yeah, all of the the pre-draft moves this year have been really interesting. All right, coming up, who's playing the AFC South coaches in movies? And it's Christmas tomorrow. We both get a Christmas present. The question is, what do we want from the NFL draft for each of us and for our respective teams? We'll answer that next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget, subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can get all the show stuff you might miss. Sometimes some pre-party, after-party, digital-only content. We'll get back to more of that after the draft when Fitz is done uh, dreaming of a Raiders game-changing pick and telling you all about it and all the draft coverage you'll be doing over the next couple days. This is our last show before the draft. Spain and Fitz off tomorrow night and the next night. As you hear the NFL Draft, 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Don't forget ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. 
Tuck Yourself In with host Nate Burleson and guests Justin Fields, Najee Harris, and Jamar Chase in the new progressive YouTube series, Up All Night. The conversation is honest, the beds are small, and the snuggle is real. Watch every episode of Up All Night exclusively on YouTube.com slash progressive. So we have a couple things to pay off. One of them uh, we can't do quite yet because it is a dead heat in our mock draft for the movies you just can't not watch when you happen upon them on TV. Uh, last we checked, it was 48.9 to 52, 50.2 or something like that. So um, we'll catch you up on that at the end of the show. Also, we asked you to cast the coaches, um, the last division that we had left, the AFC South, and we got some good ones. I was surprised by some of them. Um, we got a lot of people for Vrabel that were just too small fits. And normally I wouldn't be that nitpicky, but he is a large man. He is 6'4", and he is beefy, and there were just too many people that had the right face and the wrong body. All we got for him that I would buy is Rob Riggle. Oh, I, you know, I could see Rob Riggle. Like, that's yeah. not a bad call. Like, he's yeah. got he's got the size for it. Like, that that feels like a pretty good... Like, Riggle would have to chisel up, though, because, you know, Braves has got, like, that yes. chiseled chin and everything. Yeah. Like, maybe but, like, some Sam Rockwell, out. he's 5'8". It's just not going to work. It's not going to work for me. He doesn't have the imposing body. Uh, Urban Meyer got some, uh, some kind suggestions. Daniel Craig bond himself for Urban Meyer. Also, a Kevin Costner pick that I would not have seen, but next to each other, I could see it. I could see Costner doing it. I had never thought of Costner in that situation, and I'm also stunned by how attractive people must think Urban Meyer is. Like that, <laughs> There's a level of, like, when people are using those names around it, like, that's right. a little surprising to me. Uh, Beck Bennett from SNL also got it. He has a very smug face. That one works. Um, uh, so I, I could see that one. Yeah, I like also, that one a lot. Yeah, some good ones for... Um, for the new head coach of the Texans, David Culley, Giancarlo Esposito. I did not know who that was. I Googled him. Very good choice. Also, Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne, uh, people also said um, a young, uh, 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 what's, why am I thinking? Uh, Darth Vader. You know who I'm talking about. Uh, uh, James, James Earl James Jones. James Jones, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, much younger, though, very clearly. And then finally, Frank Wright got a lot of good ones. Gerard Butler, oh, Sam, no. Sam Waterston. Oh, that's, as a Law & Order fan, I'm all in on that. That's good. Uh, Dermot Mulroney. No. Um, oh, I also forgot Craig T. Nelson for Urban Meyer was a surprising choice, but next to each other, it absolutely worked. Uh, we got the Scott Bakula that we were asking for. I certainly thought that Peyton Manning being an option uh, was suggested for Frank Reich, and somehow it kind of works. And then finally, uh, David, I never know how to say his last name, Straight Strathern, Straithern, S-T-R-A-T-H-A-I-R-N. He definitely has a Frank Reich-esque look as well. So you guys crushed it, as always, of course. And also a reminder that Frank Reich is just also another, like a lot of good looking football coaches because there's not a lot confidence. of like confidence, man. You know, and there's something about it. Uh, by the way, the NFL draft tomorrow night, seven Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Uh, well, Sarah, I'm not sure what will bring you tremendous joy, but I want to ask you a question. Okay, I saw a mock draft earlier today, and that's dangerous. This late, I'm going to admit that's dangerous to read them, but I saw one where the Bears moved up to the fourth overall pick in the NFL draft. They Mm. traded with Atlanta in order Mm. to get Justin Fields. And in order to do that, not only did they give up their first-round pick this year, not only did they give up a second-round pick next year, but they also gave up first-round picks for two years after this. So you're talking no first-rounder this year or two more years. And I looked at it at first, and I kind of – shook it myself and thought you, you don't give that much up for a quarterback that, that you know that, no matter who they are in the draft at this point that's not named Trevor Lawrence but then I kept thinking I don't know it's Chicago and if you're desperate enough in this moment do you overpay would fans really be that mad if you gave up that much equity for a quarterback okay I'm going to make a very prisoner of the moment response 
and write it down, record it, use it against me later if you want. But I would be down for this, and here's why. I have been inspired by the Rams, who almost never hang on to their picks. The Rams are not in the business of using the draft to buoy talent. They're fine with trades. They're fine with free agency. And you could argue, you know, they haven't won at all, but they've been a whole lot closer than the Bears. And they were willing for Matthew Stafford to send away a bunch of future what-could-be's. And the way the Bears have drafted, particularly at quarterback, it makes you question, what are they seeing in fields? Are, are, do they think they've got a sure thing in the same way they thought Mitchell Trubisky was worth moving up for and taking ahead of Patrick Mahomes and McCaffrey and Watson? So you always have to wonder what their decision-making is. But knowing that Matt Nagy's job is on the line, Ryan Pace's job is on the line, and that expectations for this year's team are to be bad at the very best average. Last year, you remember, they were an average team who started hot, Got a lot of lucky wins. Teams that got decimated by injuries mid-games. Teams that, you know, pooped down their leg at the end of games when they should have won. They got hot at the beginning. It leveled out, and they barely eked their way into the postseason. And then they brought back way too many pieces as if that postseason appearance had proved something to them about the people making decisions over there. It didn't. Those guys are on a very thin leash. And they got to do something big. And if they, you know, give away some of the future of what could be's, and they get a guy that can actually turn around this team and give us hope for something, anything at that position going forward, I'm okay with it. Because then maybe you're a team that people want to come to. Maybe you can get people in free agency. Maybe you can build around something. Right now, you've done the same formula year after year, and it's great defense, no offense, barely gets you anywhere. That makes a ton of sense. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And I love your logic on it, honestly. Like, I keep thinking... At some point, you have to separate yourself from whatever Mitchell Trubisky was and say, hey, most teams fail when it comes to getting a quarterback. So how do we try this again? And that's just what you have to do. And I said uh, earlier today, I feel almost like right now going into the draft, you know, anybody that's ever bought anything on eBay, you have your cash limit. I won't spend more than this. And then you get into the auction. You're like, oh, maybe I'll go up a little bit. And then you realize that this is the one gift you have to have and your wife's birthday's in three days. And now all of a sudden it's like money's not an option. Right. I've got to get that. That's where I, I feel like the pairs are. $73 on shipping costs because I really screwed this up. Oh, the number of times <laughs> I have been eaten alive last second with shipping costs because I'm like, right? look, I got to have this now. Like, but that's uh, like all kidding aside, I think that's where the Bears are because the rest <laughs> of the roster has something that you can say, okay, uh, I can at least see the uh, the means to an end, right? I, I can see right. where we're trying to go. Just got to get a quarterback. So I, I think it's I like, interesting. I like uh, at Sean Quinn, 3288, can the Bears draft a new front office? I, if it was available, I would prioritize that probably above quarterback. I, that would be amazing if at the end of a draft, like the fan base could go in and, and, and vote whether or not the front office has been relegated <laughs> right. for a year. Like, that's it. You guys don't get to GM this year, you're done. I would love yeah. every second of that. <laughs> yeah. uh, Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, I'll say for me, Sarah, uh, I think I've really managed my expectations. I think the reason that like, I'm very mellow going into this year's draft compared to most oh. years. Oh, this is mellow? I know. And this okay. is mellow. Because okay. I realized that, like, okay, Micah Parsons is the kid out of Penn State that is such a dynamic playmaker that, oh, my God, if he were to fall to the Raiders, that'd be a dream come true. But he's not going to. I think he's going to go in the top 10, top 12, somewhere in that range. So I don't think there's going to be a shot at him. So now I'm just looking around and saying, you know what? 
I feel pretty confident that the Raiders are going to take the best safety available, and everybody's going to trash them for picking a safety at 17. But realistically, I understand why they're doing it. So I have like total, I go into this with like peace. I feel like I've like got zen over this whole process. What would they do that could make you sad? Pick the wrong guy. Like, it's all about if they pick somebody that I have to look, if I have to look at my laptop and say, wait, who? That's all I care about. Like, because the realistic part of it for the Raiders is a few years ago, they needed a left tackle. It was just Colton Miller was the one that surprised a lot of people. Now he's been signed and he's turned out to be really good. Okay. But then Cleveland Furl was a surprise for a defensive, uh, for the defensive end. You know, it feels like every year there's this. They did what moment? So for me, if they turn around and they pick, a, you know, a safety, I don't know, or another like Najee Harris, like a running back, I'd sit there and say, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing with my life right now? Even if they take a wide receiver, I'll be really frustrated because last year they had the 12th pick in the draft and they took a wide receiver. At what point do you stop the madness? So those are the things that would frustrate me. Outside of that, like, I want a boring draft for once. Like an offensive lineman that nobody really knows if they're any good or a safety isn't going to get everybody worked up into a lather. That's what I'm asking for for my Christmas tomorrow. Are you uh, feeling good about Gruden? Are you still checking in on that website? Is Gruden gone yet? Dot com. Uh, by the way, uh, six years, 37 weeks, 17 hours, five minutes and zero seconds until he's gone. Today, I got a, a jersey in the mail that says number 20 on the back and says Vegas to commemorate the first season in Vegas. It's a Raiders jersey and it's signed by Gruden. Today's not the day to ask me that. Wow. Oh, you're so sad. And I love Tomorrow, it. though. Oof. Aren't you sweet? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Daily Wager NFL Draft Preview Special with Dallin Cuff and Joe Fordenbaugh next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. 